Amen. Well, praise the Lord. So all the mothers encouraged this morning on this happy Mother's Day. All right. Praise the Lord. And um, I, I guess Elder Skip mentioned at the end of this service, or at the end of this portion of the service, not really the end of the service, uh, we're having a water baptism. Uh, we had one last Sunday. How many enjoyed the water baptism we had last Sunday? And uh, another one this Sunday. God's moving. Praise the Lord. So we're, we're excited. We're excited about that. Praise the Lord. Uh, I've got a message this morning that, again, kind of hits home. It's been a while. I, I started introducing it last week a little bit. Um, but I don't know if you know too much about the history and how we started this ministry and stuff in here. It was, it's been, a, it's been a, a, a challenge, to say the least. But God definitely called me 33 years ago to, to uh, start this ministry in Key West. From here, I'm going out to the mission field in nations around the world. I've been to find five different continents and different things like that and still keep in touch with some of the missionaries that we've, we've ministered uh, to and had to be in our church to minister. Over that time, what spoke to me in those days and hours was Nehemiah. Because let me tell you something. If, you, if you're not familiar with this, there is no opposition you can think of until you go to sit down and do something for God. It, it's, it's like it, the devil just goes nuts. He has, he has a, a nervous breakdown. He, 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 gets, he, gets a, a, he just has a fit. But with the other side of that coin, I want to kind of teach about this this morning. The other side of that is God does something miraculous that we can't explain. I can stand here this morning after 33 years of ministry in Key West and, and, and the, so some of the difficulties that we've gone through, but you, I can't um, even begin to list all the things and how God had brought us through in the, in the, in these, uh, in the times and stuff we've ministered here. Covenant Word Church has been here be 33 years at the end of this month. Lighthouse Christian Academy would be 24 years uh, in September, I believe it is, yes. right? Jennifer, yeah, in 1999, we started Lighthouse Christian Academy. I said a lot really to say this this morning. You are sitting right now, you are sitting in a place that several, I, haven't, I didn't count, but it was several people that said right now where you're sitting, this here is an impossibility in Key West. It's impossible. So with that, I want to introduce my, my message this morning, advancing against the impossible. <laughs> How many of you think they're interested? Praise the Lord. I mean, I, I, I kid you not, when God called me to the ministry, I was an electrician. I was a union electrician, so I had, I had skills, I had crafts, I was a tradesman. So when we built this, I was in a ministry full time, but when we built this, when I say built it, actually this was an old uh, um, hardware store at one time, and we turned it into a church and a daycare. The thing about the building is that you needed so many square foot per child, so that limited on what buildings and stuff we could actually go into. So Stock Island wasn't my first choice, uh, though it's still Key West technically, but it's still kind of on the outskirts. This place was a drug neighborhood. God took this ministry and set it right in the middle of a drug neighborhood. There were drug dealings and stuff going on around. I was getting, I had a, remember the days you had answering machines? I would get death threats on my answering machine for building this. Wow. <clears throat> this is the things that, that went on uh, with our ministry. And of course, we kept on building. And uh, what was happening is the drug dealers and stuff like this were seeing Stock Island change, which you don't see. This is 20, 23 years ago. See what it is today. Uh, it, it, it has changed completely. But well, we were here before it changed in this in this place here. I, I, I was as an electrician. I was wiring the place, and we were doing, could do what electricians do is building this out, trying to save money, uh, and had very little money to work with. I built it out, and I would go down to the supply house down to the corner. It's not the same people now, so don't 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 boo them. But uh, the, but uh, I would go in there, and there was this one guy. He said, and he says, um, what do you need these uh, supplies for? I says, Lighthouse Christian Academy right down the street. And he says, oh, he says, you're the one that's building that? And I says, yeah. Why, you got a problem with that? He says, yeah, I got a big problem. He says, this is going this, this to be a failure. That's a failure before you even start. Impossible to do what you're doing. So then what happens is we actually got done and opened the doors. And I was down at the supply house again, uh, finished something. And he says, yeah, well, you, you, you might open your doors but you're not going to get the kids. They're not going to come. 
when the kids begin to bust this place in the seas, <laughs> I went down again. He said, well, you might get the kids, but you're not going to get the teachers. I had a full-time staff at that time of 11 on the payroll. And uh, we had two or three substitutes, and we were running the whole thing. My point is this. I want to get into the part of Nehemiah. I want to, I want to share some things. With you. Uh, stop listening to critics, number one. But when something seems to be impossible, but you get in your spirit that God wants is done, see it through. Because he handles the impossible task. Because I am telling you, it's not just that one guy down at the supply house. It was several people uh, uh, said, this is impossible to do. They said that when I first came here, uh, when I first became a minister, because I wasn't connected with a denomination. And not being connected with a denomination, they said, oh, you'll never last. Uh, the one guy who said that, he, he, he didn't last. Hallelujah, but I'm still here. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Amen. So when I'm talking about advancing against the impossible, not just preaching a sermon this morning, I'm telling you what we've experienced Amen. and what we've actually built here. This, this doesn't, it, it's easy to say and give testimonies and stuff like that when, you're, when, you're, when it's abstract. But when you live it, it's a whole different story. But what God is doing now in this day, right, the present time, I see his spirit moving. We are believing for revival like we've never seen before. And I want to be part of it. But the only thing that concerns me is, is missing it. <laughs> I, was saved when I, was, I was saved in 1976. Say how old I was. Uh, but I was saved. I had a young family. We were traveling for work. And, but I was saved in a revival. Amen? Amen. So, uh, you know what Jesus said this to Peter? He said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. You know, there's two methods, two, well, there's more than that, but there's two general methods of fishing. There's supply, putting the bait forward, and then there's the net type of fishing. Revival's like the net fishing. The fish isn't going there because of an appetite. It's just some, somehow it just finds its way there and, it, and it's caught. <laughs> you know, we, when a person with an appetite will also come and, 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 and come into the kingdom. But then there's that person that has no appetite and you don't even, even signify the appetite. God just sets down a net and, and anyway, praise the Lord. Let me get to my message this morning, advancing against the impossibilities. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ex expose some of the strategies of the enemy. However, this is my belief. I don't examine what the enemy is doing. I don't sit there and study what he is doing to determine what God's going to do. I don't have to look at the five o'clock news to tell you that we're in the end times. Okay? I, I, I know that's a popular thing. It's an easy thing to do. It's an easy thing to get caught up in. But that's what the devil's doing out there. What I see, I see what God's doing in here. Amen? And not only in here, this church, but around uh, we got friends all over the all over the globe, literally all over the globe, and it's the same story. That God is increasing His presence. That's a sign of the end times. The devil doesn't know. He's just he's just trying to keep up. He's not on the inside with inside knowledge. But his strategy is this. So I, but I believe what Paul says. He says we're not ignorant of his devices. So let me just present some of his devices this morning as let go of that, but let's examine what God's about to do and change, change it for the better. Amen? Amen. It's a lasting change. And, and, and uh, it'll, God's purpose in revival a lot of times is to save souls, like I said, that net procedure, but it's also to change culture. True revival uh, should not stop short of changing culture. Let me get into my message this morning, advancing against the impossible. I, I put this in my notes, I'll just share it with you. The devil has a strategy, but the devil's strategy is always to use fear. Whatever drives you because of fear is what the devil's trying to do. He's trying to manipulate. But here's the three things that he does, and I'm gonna show this, show this more in Nehemiah, when I get to Nehemiah. He says, the devil's strategy always is to use fear to distract three things, to distract, intimidate, and manipulate. I've said this for years. Manipulation is, a, is, a, is witchcraft. It's, it's demonic in manipulation. Amen? God doesn't manipulate us. Uh, there's no place in the world where he manipulates us. He offers us a way out. But it's our free will that takes that way out. 
There's no manipulation. There's no making you feel bad. There's, a, there's all, all this other stuff. No, no, that's, that's, that's the devil's ground. Praise the Lord. So three things. Distraction, he'll distract you from the real uh, purpose. Uh, this is what he, well, uh, uh, let me, I don't want to get hung up in too many sidetracks here, but anyway, uh, distraction, intimidation. If you ever feel intimidated, watch it. God will never make you feel intimidated. Amen? God's, God's whole motive and whole personality is to make you feel blessed. Amen? And to show you what he has, has for you. All right, praise the Lord. So that's, that's the three things. Uh, uh, but last Sunday, it was last week, I sat down. I must have read this scripture thousands of times. But something stood out. When I, when I shared this last week, let me share it again to start out, and I'm going to pick it up from there. Luke chapter 4, verse 13 is what I want to talk about. Now, Luke chapter 4 is, is kind of like Matthew chapter 4, where it talks about the temptation of Christ. Somebody's ever seen that. Uh, Jesus was led into the wilderness by the, whole, by the Spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, to be tempted of the devil. How many think that's, that's a sad day and that was a rough day for Jesus? The only rough day Jesus had was when he had to fast for 40 days, at least I'm thinking, uh, and he still had a human body. Okay? But being tempted of the devil, here's my take on this, and this is with my perspective. God set the devil up. <laughs> this was a setup. Not only that, but Jesus, and this is what I saw last week. I, said, I was sharing this last week. I said, man, I, I got to apply this better. But God, Jesus was showing us something. Let's, let, me, let, me, let me just leave that one verse out of the King James. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 13, there's one verse. And when the devil ended all his temptation, he departed, for him from, departed from him for a season. How many's ever seen that in there? Okay, uh, uh, Jesus, if you're really the son of God, uh, turn, these loaves and, turn these rocks into loaves of bread. Uh, Jesus, if you're, put, put yourself on a pinnacle, throw yourself off. All these temptations, he came up with three of them. By the way, the devil used scripture. He took used scripture. He pulled a scripture out of Deuteronomy. So the devil came with scripture, with the word of God, used the word of God against the word of God. <laughs> How do you do that? You got to be stupid to start with. I mean, this is, that's just stupid going to seed, as you say. But I mean, that's it. But that's what he did. Three times, Jesus came back with him with scripture. And then finally, the last time, he says, get ye behind me, Satan. And that was it. Those three things represent something. It represents the devil runs out of strength. He had no more in him. He confronted Jesus, three questions, and he's done for the day or for the season. He comes back again. I said, you know what, this is, this is, this is interesting because basically... A lot of times, even if we can't feel God in a situation, sometimes we don't feel God. He's still there, but we don't feel him. Sometimes if we don't feel God in a situation, I can know this. All I got to be is stubborn. My wife says I'm that by, natu by nature. How many here are stubborn? Yeah. The rest of you are lying. <laughs> you liar in church. Stubborn. I can be stubborn if I can fix myself on the things of God and refuse to give in. I can win. I can win. Now, this is what you have to determine for yourself to take your own inventory. Is the devil really your problem? Or is it your own desires, wants, and so on and so forth? Don't blame Murray on the devil. He's not that smart. And here's another thing. I never look at the devil as the evil equal to God, never, never. He was a fallen angel. He was a creative being. He's not even in the same league with God. <laughs> He's not even in the same league with God. I'm serious. I'm serious. This is what, this is what deceives people. This is what comes in. So anyway, that's his strategy. But Jesus said, he said, no, that's it. Jesus said, no, get you behind me, Satan. He said, no, a man does not live. But you know all the, the three things he said. Finally, Satan, because he was rebutted with the same word he was trying to use as a weapon against Christ, but he was rebutted with the with, with word. Just because somebody quotes you the word doesn't mean it's the word for you right now. 
doesn't mean that they're speaking into your situation. The Word of God is alive. It's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Is what the, what the Bible says about it. But it also, we're also cautioned in the Word to be able to use the right, rightly divide the Word of truth. Why do we got to be told to rightly divide it? Because we can wrongly divide it. Amen. Rightly divide the Word of truth. And this is it. So in this church, you heard me say it before, from the, index, from the table of contents to the maps, we believe the whole thing. <laughs> Amen. So praise the Lord. It's the word of God. But anyway, so let me show Paul says this in, second, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, listen to, you, listen to this. This is, another, this is another exposure type thing. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation overtaking you it will, has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may able, be able to bear it. So what he's saying, he's saying, okay, here comes the enemy, but he's only tempting you with things that you're familiar with. There's nothing spiritual behind him. He's using what he's with familiar. That's all he's got. You've got to understand he has no authority. God, Jesus said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth and things even under the earth. And he said, now, he said, go out. And, and, and in other words, he was transferring that authority to his disciples, which transfers that authority to us. Satan has no authority, only but what he can rob, steal, and, and manipulate. Well, as, like I said before, it's either got to be distraction from a distraction, intimidation, or manipulation. That's how he c- controls things. Amen? So he can only use what's common to man. Well, I, then if he only can use what's common to man, he's exposed already. Because basically, it's nothing I'm looking for spiritually. There's no spiritual. The only thing I'm looking for spiritually, I'm going to get closer to God. I want to find out his will. Are you here? Amen. Beginning so far. Praise the Lord. So these are the things I know. Here's the thing. When we pray, our prayer is not supposed to be us begging God. Let's get our prayer straight, what what Jesus actually taught us in prayer. Our prayer is not supposed to be us begging God to invade his situation. It's supposed to be us joining with the Father, seeing his heart, and making the decrees necessary to bring about his will on the earth. Does that make sense? Yeah. Let me say that again. This is, this is kind of earth-shattering for, for some. Prayer is not supposed to be us begging God to invade a situation. It's supposed to be us joining with the Father, seeing his heart, and making the decrees necessary to bring about his will on the earth. When I first came to Key West, I had no ambitions of Key West. I, I had a house a uh, block from the beach in Deerfield Beach. I lived off of A1A. I had a, nice, I had a good job. Brand new boat, brand new car in the front yard. I was, I was living high. I mean, it was, it was fun. I was, had belonged to a church. I was an elder in a church. There was no... When I was sent out as a pastor from that church, the Boynton Beach started a church, and of course, long story short, came to Key West in 1990. That was 1987. I went out to my first church in 1990. I came to Key West. I kept listening to God, hoping and praying it wouldn't be this town. Because all I got a word from the Lord was the Florida Keys. So I got another pastor friend of mine to drive with me. Let's drive down the Keys. It was his suggestion. Let's drive down there and see what God says. It's always better to hear God on location. <laughs> all right. Both of us, we went down. I stopped every place. We stopped down the Keys. We stopped Marathon. We, you know, Big Pine, all these places. We got to Key West, and there it hit me. And I didn't say a word. Set, we were sitting in a pizza hut for the urgent cares day, and, and, and oh, yeah. we used to be a pizza hut. We sat on the one table in the end looking out over the water, and I'm sitting there staring like this. And he says to me, he says, you know, this is it. Mm. Yeah, I just wasn't going to be the first one to say it. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of those relationships and that, like, like that right there. But let me tell you, 33 years later, God has done some miraculous things. And the thousands, not just hundreds, thousands of people that we have on record, not can, can, that's not the people that we minister to overseas, West Africa, Guatemala, Chile, uh, Peru, uh, Israel, uh, all those places we've ministered to, that doesn't even show up on our records. So all the 
thousands of people, maybe tens of thousands of people uh, that have been ministered because somebody says yes. All it takes for us, though we don't know, it sometimes is a scary proposition for us. The devil wants to keep it that way. But all it is is saying yes to what the Heavenly Father does. Because what happens, we have to overcome all the things that are common to man. Well, yeah, well, how am I going to get a job? And who's going to pay for this thing? Well, look at the money it's going to cost. We weren't sponsored by anybody. What you see here was never sponsored by any, anybody else. It's always the church, free will giving, free will offerings and stuff like that from the church. That's all. Amen? Amen. Praise the Lord. And in 1998, God gave me the vision for Lighthouse Christian Academy. He says, he says, I want you to, he said, for the restoration, and he said, I want you to use it for a tool and ministry for restoration of families. Amen. He saw the families coming apart way back then, and he wanted us to have a solution for families. And it, was, it became Lighthouse Christian Academy. Now we're the only center in Monroe County that uh, is capable uh, in, to uh, deal with kids with autism. We're the only center. But you see, we just followed God. Praise the Lord. Amen. And uh, so this is what, what he's done over the years. So I'm looking at this stuff. Amen. Amen. Jesus said to his disciples when they couldn't cast out the demon from the boy that was demon-possessed, he said this in Matthew 17. And uh, he, says, um, he says, because of your unbelief, he says, if you had the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you could say unto this mountain, how many know what the scripture is? Say unto this mountain, be thou removed. He says that in a couple different other scriptures. Jesus makes this phrase, speak to this mountain with faith, it'll be removed. Uh, Mark eleven twenty three 23 says, says the same thing. Speak to this mountain. What is this mountain we're supposed to speak to? Well, it's, it's, it's sort of an allegory. He's not talking about a pile of rocks and stones. It's mountains and hills Hills are smaller than mountains, but through the Old Testament, all through the Bible, there's this uh, picture or this descriptive of hills or mountains. A mountain is a higher place than a hill. A hill is a higher place than flat grounds. So you have mountains, you have hills. What he was saying, he was saying in this case where this boy was demon-possessed, he says, speak unto this mountain. In other words, there was authority that was an illegal authority, but it was an authority none of the same that was overruling this boy's will, emotions, and everything else. He said, if you had the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you could speak to this mountain, and it will be what? Removed. He spoke, and the demon fled. He was equating the mountain to demonic strongholds or anything that sets itself above. Remember when Moses went up to the mountain, uh, Mount Sinai, he received the Ten Commandments on tablets. Why did he go to a high place? Because God was saying, he said, my word and my, uh, uh, my plan for my people is above every other authority on the earth. So he was demonstrating that through mountains. So mountains became places, high places of authority. But Satan wants to set himself up as a mountain blocking your path. Jesus said, just speak to it. It has to get out of the way. <laughs> but you have to speak to it in faith. Say unto this mountain. Say unto it. Speak it out. Some things just have to be said. How are we doing so far? Praise the Lord. Okay, here's another revelation you give me this week. I just, I was listening to this. Luke chapter, and I'm just going through giving you some, some nuggets here that you can grab a hold of. <clears throat> I'll get to Nehemiah in a minute. Yeah, I'll get time. Praise the Lord. Luke chapter 9, verse 16 says this. is when Jesus had given thanks. Remember, he gave thanks. Uh, uh, let me back up. I'm going too fast. Go back to uh, Jesus was preaching, and there was 5,000, it says, men. Uh, not counting the women and children. It could have been 10 to 15,000 people that were listening to him to preach. And all of a sudden, they got late, and they got hungry. And the disciples said, Jesus, we'll send them away. We'll go into town, get some, you know, go to McDonald's or someplace. I don't know. But anyway, we'll get something to eat. He said, no. He says, he says you, this is what he said, you feed him. Feed them. Now, how many know, compared to the supply that he had and the numbers that were there, it doesn't take a mathematician to find out this is impossible. Right? Well, the impossible is where God kicks in. So Jesus said, what do you have? He required an offering, 
And he took that offering, no matter how small it was, he said, we got five loaves and two fishes. This is the little boy's lunch. So I don't think they were real big loaves. I think they're probably like the matzahs, you know, like maybe five pieces of matzah and some little tiny fish. St. Peter fish. Oh, when I was in Israel. Pitiful. Pitiful, pitiful. They don't have fish in, 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 the, in the Sea of Galilee. Nah. Anyway, but it, little things like this. So here he's got him holding in his hands. What does Jesus do? What Jesus does, he holds it up. Now, depending on what translation, I think the American Standard says uh, he, he gave thanks. Uh, and the other some of the other translations, King James says he blessed it. So he took this. So let me use both terms. He gave thanks and he blessed this. What did he bless? He blessed the inefficiency or the deficiency of the supply. The supply was not there. He was blessing what wasn't there. Why did he do that? Why didn't he just expand it right there so everybody could see we have enough and everybody dive in and grab what you need? That's how we want to see it. Jesus took that, which he knew was not enough. He looked at the multitude. He took this. He held it up to the Father. He blessed it and gave thanks. <laughs> you know what God showed me? Jesus positioned himself for the miracle. Not by what he saw, but by what he knew of the Father. Not by what he saw in a few loaves and fishes that were never going to be sufficient. Now, here's the other kicker. He didn't do anything with it except bless it and gave thanks. He gave the fish and the bread to his disciples. The same way he got it, he gave it back. We would say, Jesus just rejected my offering. We'd pout, come on. But it just gives it back to me like it is. It's the same fish, the same loaves. I mean, this is how we be. Come on, you know how we are. <laughs> it wasn't until the disciple says, okay, he blessed it. He's thanked for it. We'll pass it out. We'll get the first five people in a row. I don't know. Give them one of everything. I don't know. Maybe we can make, get some crumbs. We'll just hand crumbs. You can be trying to figure out how are we going to do this. But there's no figuring out how to do the impossible. We don't have the means to do the impossible beyond what we know how to do. We can only trust God. He said he blessed it. He did thanks. He said now it becomes sufficient. Somehow it becomes sufficient. Don't ask me how the mechanics work. I don't know. And we pass it out. And guess what they had left over after feeding 15,000 people with five loaves and two fishes? Twelve baskets. Twelve baskets is estimated by many scholars to be three days rations for his disciples. So what happens in three days? He does it again, only with 4,000 people and no fish. <clears throat> what was Jesus demonstrating? Demonstrating the things that we need Aren't, we're not going to see. But the things that we hope for becomes our faith. That grain of mustard seed, that mountain, whatever that obstacle is, is blocking. Okay, he's given us the words. He's given us the things to have it move out of our way. Are we getting blessed? Are we blessed yet? Yes. Praise the Lord. Yes. But fear, uh, I, I, I shared this with you last week. Let me share it again out of the New American Standard Version. Psalms 37, 8 says... Cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret. Get that word fret. Do not fret. It leads, to only, leads only to evil doing. You look up that word fret, and it means fear. So in, in essence, the Bible's telling us in Psalms 37, 8, is telling us that when we fear, it only leads to evil doing. No matter how righteous it seems, no matter how sanctified it seems, if fear is the driving factor, it only leads to evil. <clears throat> Hallelujah. I saw that. I did a bunch of repenting. I don't know about you. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Amen? Praise the Lord. What happens is, is when we get hung up by fear, put this in my notes too, we get hung up by fear. It isn't a matter of changing our mind. I've ministered to several people over the years. We've actually laid hands on. 
that there'd be a change in transformation. Um, I've prayed for people, I've prayed for military people before and different things before. Uh, oh, was it uh, PSA, PSD, those initials? Thank you. <laughs> yeah, that. Okay. And what I noticed is not a matter of changing your mind. Any kind of fear is not a matter of changing your mind. Amen. It's a matter of repentance. God showed me this. He says, a matter of repentance. And what happens? Well, we, we think repentance, well, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just changing direction. No, 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 no. Forget that. That's religious. Okay, repentance. Let me, let me share what, what, what it really means. To repent means I acknowledge that I have been believing a lie and therefore empowering a liar. Believe a lie and empower a liar. I believe a lie. And I've entertained things that are warring against my destiny. There's the key right there. I've warned the things against my, I've been entertaining thoughts, ideas, values that are contrary to my design in Christ. And when we pray this way, God forgive me for I have compromised my own soul. That's a moment of deliverance. Now you're breaking the fear. I had to do this several times over my course of ministry. Said, no, Lord, this, this fear is trying to get home. I said, I need to repent from this. I'm entertaining ideas that are not given by you. Amen. I'm entertaining thoughts that are warring against my destiny. Helps to know what your destiny is, but your purpose and your destiny. I, I realize that I can't be a minister helping other people out of fear if I'm in fear myself. God tested this with me. I was in Africa uh, a number of years ago, about 100 years ago, I guess it was. It was a long time ago. I was younger and, 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 and uh, I wasn't any smarter, but I was spunkier. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I'm there and, and I'm getting ready to do a meeting. I'm in Abidjan, um, and not Abidjan, I'm sorry, this, this was um, in uh, Ghana, West Africa. I was in Accra. And um, I was talking to, I had four guys that traveled with me because they, I needed four different translators because I went out into the bush to no places where they didn't have education. They all spoke different tribal languages. There's like 16 major languages in, in, in Ghana, in a country that's the size of the state of New Jersey. <laughs> that's all it is. And the guys were, were muttering behind me. And we little pickup truck and had the name of the sign of it. And, and this is another story. That, that sign with that pickup truck of that ministry was, was my key to going all through the, uh, uh, because the guy who owned the truck his wife was a cousin to the king of the Ashante uh, tribe, and I, I basically had a ticket to do go wherever I wanted to go, whenever I wanted to go there, <laughs> and nobody bothered me. But anyway, the four guys that had traveled with me, they was their job to protect me and watch over me, and they were saying they were whispering. I said, "What are you guys? What are you guys muttering back there for?" I was riding a pickup truck, it took about a six-hour drive, and uh, he says, "Well, we heard that that." Um, that when you go to this other town, he mentioned the town, he said the witch doctor was going to meet you, uh, uh, was going to be there and put a curse on you. I said, is that true? And uh, I've seen this happen before and I've seen how it's affected people there. Uh, it's, for them, it's real. It's for, it's for real. I mean, the devil is a real thing uh, and they fear him immensely. And all of a sudden, I just got angry. I just rose up, not at the guys, but at the thought. I says, can you guys get a message to him? I says, I want you to invite him to the meeting. I want a personal meeting with this, whatever he is. Personal meeting with him. <laughs> when I said it, I heard the words coming out of my mouth. Then I thought behind it, are you crazy? Are you absolutely insane? And, uh, you know, what these guys are capable of. I said, no, we're sticking with it. God, this better be you. <laughs> this better be you. <clears throat> it was. The guy never showed up. I learned right then and there that when it comes to the enemy, there is no challenge. The biggest enemy that challenges us many times is our own thoughts and our own ideas. The devil sits kind of off to the side and laughs. Now, there, he's real, and we have d done deliverances in this church. But I'm telling you, it's, it's what he plants and runs. He throws a, a, a demonic seed and runs and lets you grow it. Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen? So, so what happens in this fear that he tries to get, fear activates, you've heard me say this a million times, fear activates the devil, faith activates God. So you can't operate in both at the same time. And he knows that. So he tries to intimidate. Amen? Are we, are we getting anything out of this? Praise the Lord.
Let me finally get to Nehemiah. I got, I got some time here. I mentioned seven things that I saw the enemy working. I, I'm going to also recommend that you study this book on your own. There's three chapters that I'm referring to particularly. Chapter 4, chapter 5, and chapter 6. Nehemiah, do you remember? Okay, let me, let me back up a little bit. Israel became um, captive and enslaved to the Babylonian Empire. That would be modern-day Iraq. That's the Babylonian Empire. For 70 years because they sinned against God and so on and so forth. They lost their protection and Babylon took them all. <laughs> this is going to blow your mind. But God spoke to a man who was a Persian. He's a Gentile, Persian, by the name of King Cyrus. He's all through the Bible. And he told King Cyrus, in, in essence, I'm paraphrasing, but if he told King Cyrus, if you, if you sack the Babylonians, if you defeat the Babylonians, I'll give you the victory. But here's the, here's the catch. You free my people and let them go back to Israel. So for 70 years, they completed their, their hostage situation for 70 years. Now they're coming in. How many's ever seen pictures and posters of Daniel from the lion's den? I love this. Daniel was about 10 or 13 when they, when they sacked Jerusalem, Israel. They were there 70 years. That means that you saw the band in the lion's den would have been an old man about in his 80s. <laughs> Not the young strapping lad standing up there. He was old, and still being defiant against the things of, of, of Babylon. And he never did leave Babylon. Like Joseph never really left. He, Joseph died in Egypt. He died in Babylon. Except Joseph has bones removed anyway. But so, so they are. So here we are. Now all of a sudden, King Cyrus makes a decree, and in the, in, in the Persian Empire, when one king makes a decree, it can never be undone by the previous king. This is what Iran needs to learn about their own culture. Because you can't rewrite the laws that have been decreed by one decree. And the decree of King Cyrus was the Israelis are free and they can have their own country exactly where it is today. And they can go back and rewrite. They, they ought to study this because basically and understand what, what the culture is in ancient, uh, ancient culture. Because King Cyrus made a decree. It was the Irish before they do that. Well, Nehemiah is cup holder to, was cup bearer to the... In other words, he was a taste tester in case somebody wanted to poison the king. <laughs> this was his job. So because of that, he lived in the palace. He lived in a, a cushy life. All of a sudden, he's praying before God, and he's hearing about the, uh, the, the temples rebuilt. People are still putting, starting to rebuild their homes. Seventy years this is going on, and the walls are still a shambles. And Nehemiah gets under this burden because it's God's place for him to rebuild the walls. So guess what? Here comes the enemy. And the enemy begins to reach out in number one. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 1. But it happened, he says that the, the enemy heard this, they were furious, so they began to ridicule. Write that in your notes that when you're ridiculed by somebody, made fun and ridiculed, that's an attack of the enemy. <laughs> Amen? I, I'm going to have to go fast for, for sake of time. <clears throat> uh, can you hear, listen to me for seven more minutes? Okay, I'll get through it in seven more minutes. Praise the Lord. The next thing he talks about in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 8, it talks about that the th a threat of attack. He didn't say they attacked, but there was a threat of attack. This is what we're going to do if you continue with this wall, and this is and so on and so forth. Okay? Are, are, are you getting this? So, so there's a threat of attack. And, uh, and, and then, he's, then it comes, number three is discouragement, Nehemiah 10, uh, 4, 10. When Judah saw the strength of her laborers failing, in other words, they looked, all of a sudden they, they, they realized that the job that they had to do was bigger than what they felt they had strength for. And discouragement sets in. How many ever experienced that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh boy, I could tell you some stories. Hallelujah. Amen. So, this, so discouragement. The next thing that happened was extortion. This should minister everybody today. Amen. Because basically what happened, and when you read the Bible, when you read about slavery, slavery wasn't what we think of in this country happened in the 1800s, where you, take an, you own an individual and you stick them on an auction block and you can sell them for a profit. That's not what they did. When you went into slavery in the, in the Bible times, you were working off a debt that you ran up a bill. 
So it's kind of like going to a restaurant, not being able to pay your bill, and they put you to work washing dishes until you put in the time enough to pay off that bill. So what they were doing, Nehemiah was sent there with a troop and the blessing of the king of Persia to go back there to rebuild the wall. He's got his troops with him, but the workforce had to come from it, the Israelis. And what happened was they couldn't take time off because that was taking too much time. So they had to work because they were, their children were being taken captive in the slavery because of the debts that they owned. Nehemiah personally went by and got his treasury together and began to pay off the debts to free up workers so they could go back and work and release their children. But they used this extortion uh, against them. Uh, how many's ever said, well, you know, pastor, uh, I like to do more in a church, but I got to make a living. I got these credit card debts, you know? <laughs> we do the same thing. Amen. Praise the Lord. I've said it. Everybody said, I mean, this is what we, we, we see this thing we got to handle. I, I, when I work back in a trade, I mean, you're talking about a union electrician. Anything outside of, of 8 o'clock in the morning to 4.30 in the afternoon was double time. They paid me twice my hourly rate. So if I got on a job that went seven twelves, that's seven days a week, 12 hours a day. You're talking about even back then a good chunk of change. But I said, I'm not working Sundays. And they used to say to me, not even for money? I said, especially not for money. What, what, why? Why don't you work Sundays? I go to church. You're going to pass up this money for church? Here's the ridicule. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what they're doing today, but I'm doing fine. <laughs> I, never missed it. I never missed any of it. <laughs> but that was you know, one of the personally, but I mean, it's just extortion. Uh, and it's usually debts have holds over extortion. The same in Nehemiah. So Nehemiah paid the personal debts. Then he went to the Jews because the Gentiles, he understood, they were just doing a business deal here and you owe them. But he went to the Jews that were doing the same thing. Jewish businessmen, Jewish storms, all like that. And they were holding against their own people, though these people were the ones that are building the wall for their own protection. So he says, what? You'll charge your own brethren to repair this wall? And he shamed them. <laughs> but that was a threat of the enemy, even, even with their own people. So it was extortion. Then the fifth one, of course, is compromise. We know how that was. Hey, Nehemiah, here's these three, three idiots. I'm going to mention their names. I don't know if I pronounce them properly in Hebrew or whatever language, but this is how I, how I say them. You can look them up in Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 3. But it says, Sim, I'm going to call it Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem. That's the best I can come up with. These three guys, who were they? It matters who were they because these were the three biggest enemies of Nehemiah. Now, of course, the devil works for them, but why? How? They were governors of territories before Persia took over. Do you remember the 70 years that Israel was in Babylon? Guess who lived in their lands those 70 years they were gone? These guys. And they were positioned from the north, east, and south. So there was three sections there. Of course, if you go west of Jerusalem, you hit the Red Sea. <laughs> or the, I'm sorry, sea, uh, Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean Sea. So these guys had it in for them. So they said, Nehemiah, you're working hard. Come on down. Everybody gets a break. And Nehemiah, I love this because this is what, this is what I stood on for years. And it says this. What, this is what Nehemiah says. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you guys? I say it my way. Why should I leave the work of God, which is an important work, to hang around with you knuckleheads? That's stupid. I'm not doing it. Four times they sent letters. Amen? Four times Nehemiah says, no, I refuse to get down. Who are these guys? Well, I studied who these guys, where they come from. Well, Sambalat was a, Mo a Moabite. Anybody know anything about the Moabites? How many remember when Lot came out of, out of uh, was sa Abraham saved his life when God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot came out? They thought it was the end of the world. And he had two daughters. He had a younger daughter, an older daughter, that had incestual sex with, 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 uh, with um, Lot and produced two sons. Okay? 
one of those sons from the oldest daughter was the Moabites, and the younger one was the Ammonites. And Tobiah was an Ammonite. Gesha was just an Arab. So in other words, these were sworn enemies of Israel because of Lot, from Lot's sin of disobeying, you know, separating from Moses, or from uh, um, Abraham, where he could have been covered under the covenant. He set him aside from the covenant, produced children, offspring, which became enemies of Israel. And they were sworn enemies of Israel. I'll give you a little history on, on that right there. So what did they do? They tried to get him to compromise. When he refused to compromise, what did they do? They started slandering him. And what they did, they started telling stories and saying this, sort of stories. Well, he's doing this because there's a kingship in it for him. He's trying to take over as king. And they come up with lies. How many's ever had somebody lie about him? And not just get in the ministry. Real easy. <laughs> but praise the Lord. And they say all kinds of, well, you got an alternative motive and, and so on and so forth. And it was, it was a slander. Amen? Amen? Praise the Lord. Amen. The seventh one was treachery in Nehemiah 6.10. In other words, he said, let us meet together. Let me, let me back up to six. What was part of the slander they did? They couldn't get Nehemiah to, to bend in any which way, shape, or form. He just wouldn't get off that wall, and he stayed on it. So what they did is they hired some prophets. They hired them. In other words, these were guys that were just being paid to prophesy what they wanted Nehemiah to hear. They figured, well, he's a, he's a religious guy. You know, he's dedicated to his God. Let's just hire some prophets. So they paid these guys into the table, and they came and they prophesied to, to Nehemiah and said, this is where it comes in the seven, where the treachery comes in, uh, as, which is number seven in this deal. And they told Nehemiah, they said, listen, uh, uh, they're coming to get you. They're coming at night, and they're going to kill you. He says, hide yourself in the temple. That was the only strong structure around because basically everything else, the wall was what he was building. So it wasn't, wasn't completed. He said, hide yourself in the temple. And this was Nehemiah's response. Okay? He said, let, they said, let's be together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple uh, for they are coming to kill you. Indeed at night they will come and kill you. Nehemiah responds in verse 11 and says this, should such a man as I flee? And who is there such, a, uh, such as I who would go to the temple to save his life? I will not go in. <clears throat> now he said that not knowing who these prophets were. This is what I like about it. Then he found out later that, wait a minute, these guys in, in, in verse 12, he says, I perceive that God had not sent these men at all. So he acted before he found it. How many has ever acted on something and then he found out it was God? <laughs> That's what Nehemiah, no, I'm not going to save my life. I'm not going to go into the temple and hide. I'm going to keep on building. And these were the seven attacks of the enemy. All seven had to do with fear. All seven had to do with manipulation. All seven had to do with some kind of intimidation, the things that the devil used. It's a perfect, one of the most perfect examples I see in the Bible to expose the strategies of the enemy and what he wants to do spiritually to us today. Exactly the same. That's why I like Nehemiah. I, I, whenever I've uh, been up against, my back's been up against the wall and different things like this, I go to Nehemiah and say, no, I, I, I'm, I'm familiar with this now. No, 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 this, is, this, is, this isn't God. And what happens is I turn from that and come right into the position of God. I say, God, I will not fear. I will not do anything to save my own life. I said, this is it. You have called me to this place. I used to say this. Is, it took me you know, five prophecies and some words to get me to this place. How many think you're going to get me out of here? I'm going to listen to a whole bunch of words and there's just two knuckleheads coming up and saying, well, we heard from God. Yeah, sure. Now, how come he's saying exactly the opposite of what he told me? Hmm. Praise the Lord. Amen. <laughs> I'm out of time, but let me share one more thing. James chapter four, one of my things you probably are familiar. James says this. He says, you have not because you ask not. What James was saying, a prayerless life creates lack. 
Praise the Lord. How many of us have the word this morning? Amen. 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 I'm out of time. Let's stand to our feet. Praise the Lord. Thank you. Listen. I take comfort in this fact that every season is for advancement and every bit of progress in the name of the Lord disheartens the enemy. Oh, do I take pleasure in that. Every season that God has you for, believe it or not, it may not look like it now, but every season you're going through. How many know we go through seasons? But God's the one who brings the seasons. And um, two things he told me um, in the past month or so. He said, you're going into another season of spiritual warfare. We hadn't been in that in a while, many years. You know, I prepared our harp and bowl prayers and stuff like this. We're coming into spiritual war. And the second thing he told me just a week ago, he's saying, he says, you're in a build, process of building. I said, building? Oh, hell yeah, that's right. We're not building temples. See, we're not building walls and physical things, we're, but we're still in a process of building. We're building the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink or physical things, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. So basically the things we're building is to give people what they need for righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And what we're building is not buildings or big ministries. What we're building is in the people, depositing people so God can talk to people through a relationship with God. Help anybody this morning? Amen. Anyway, praise the Lord. Y'all good listeners this morning. I know I probably dumped a lot of scripture on you, but just take it for the general thing of it. Uh, God good, devil bad. We can go home. Amen. God listen to, devil no. <laughs> but how many can relate to some of the things I said this morning in their own personal life? You relate to those things. I'm telling you, we have the victory. We absolutely do. But let's start speaking it forth. Let's go in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, I pray. Uh, but before I get into the prayer, uh, if you're getting prepared for baptism, we need to change it. This will be a good time for our bapt uh, baptism uh, to get prepared as, as I'm closing out. If you're already, we'll dunk you like you are. I don't care. Uh, if you're sitting here and you didn't sign up for baptism, uh, you don't have to sign up. You just have to show up. If you're here and you want to be baptized, uh, maybe it's been a while, and you, 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 don't worry about the theology of it. Worry about meeting Jesus in the water. Our baptism here means the identification, Romans 6, identification of death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's what water baptism is. If, if you need another go at that, it's open. I'll stay here until every person is wet. <laughs> and listen, in my 33 years of ministry here, I have not drowned in one, one person. <laughs> Although my first one at the beach came close, but I, I was able, I have, I'm a certified rescue scuba diver, so I, I was able to... No, I'm just kidding. Praise the Lord. That's a joke. Amen. No, we never lost anybody, but we gained a whole bunch. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. Let it germinate. Let it plant. Let it develop in our souls, Father, in the name of Jesus, to set us free. We declare this morning where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. We declare we are free. Oh, come on. Somebody need to say it right out loud. We are free because of Christ. We are free because of his salvation. We are free because of the Lord, and we will walk like it, talk like it, look like it, act like it, and tell other people about it. <laughs> I'm here blessed. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord.